Much of the news headlines this week focused on COP26 in Glasgow, a gathering of world leaders, well, actually with the notable exception of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, but there were A-list celebrities and connected business people there. 39,509 people registered for the Glasgow conference, including 3,800 media and 14,000 observers. Come on, to be honest, I'm not sure what the vast majority are doing there, other than laying down a massive carbon footprint. Come on, certainly they're not attending because they need to be convinced of the need for climate action. They all subscribe to the climate emergency agenda. The vast majority of them have been saying, hey, there's no need for debate or questions. So other than schmoozing, and this actually reminds me, you know, the social side you hear so much about at the Olympics. But other than schmoozing, it doesn't look like there's a compelling reason for literally tens of thousands of those people to be there. I mean, I'm not sure what's so pressing that virtually 95% of those people could have stayed home, used the Internet, streamed or do Zoom meetings in order. And that would have shown some climate leadership. Come on, certainly the sight of 400 private jets bringing the likes of Leonardo DiCaprio and Jeff Bezos doesn't convey climate emergency. Now, I appreciate that I will infuriate many people for saying that. Well, actually saying anything on the climate change that doesn't suit their agenda. Climate change is one of those subjects, though, where advocates work hard to, dis to limit discussion. And it's been that way since the absurd declaration that there's a 97% consensus of scientists regarding climate change. Come on, that is a profoundly anti-science statement to discourage questions, made even more meaningless because they never quite elaborated on what the specifics of that consensus were. And they don't encourage questions to find out. I'll give you one example, though. There's sure no consensus on the role of nuclear power versus renewables in the climate community itself. Now, I have to admit, I am suspicious of anybody or any group who says no questions allowed. Now, obviously, many disagree with that. But I'm with Galileo who said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forgo their use. Along with Einstein who said, the important thing is to not stop questioning. But unfortunately, climate change is on that glowing, growing list of subjects you may have noticed, the subjects and issues, that open discussion and questions are discouraged or just simply ignored. Obviously, there's so many aspects though to this issue with regard to climate change. But I'm gonna focus on just one. But first again, let me preface everything I'm about to say with the understanding that there are a great many people who would disagree, who don't wanna hear this. I mentioned you know, on last week's show very briefly that the biggest blowback on something I've said in the last three years is to point out that the practical limitations of transitioning to renewable energy electric vehicles, given there's no plan. We've had 25 summits, still no plan. You'd think at some point people who were concerned about climate change would demand to get past those sort of broad statements or past the virtue signaling and demand a step-by-step -step specific on how to transition and how much it is going to cost. I have no idea how many of the climate protesters or the COP26 delegates, observers and media understand that as Daniel Jurgen, he's an acknowledged leading authority on energy in the global economy, well, he says electric vehicles require six times more minerals than a conventional car. And a wind turbine uses nine times more minerals than gas-fueled uh, power plants. Well, with the move to electric cars, demand for critical materials like lithium are going to increase 4,300%. Cobalt and nickel up about 2,500%. Plus a huge increase in copper production that we can't meet right now. The demand will be huge. 
As for wind towers, China controls 60% of rare earths needed to construct them. Now, I don't know whether COP26 attendees understand these profound constraints to transitioning to electric vehicles and renewable energy, but they're sure not talking about them. And ignoring them delays the timetable. And speaking of timetables, many climate activists demand the complete phase-out of oil and gas without matching the time frame for the build-out of the renewable or nuclear power-based grid. The massive spike in oil, natural gas, and coal prices in the UK, Europe, China, India, they're just giving us a real reminder of what happens when the two time frames, one phasing out fossil fuels, but it doesn't match the time frame for building out the power grid on renewables. And let me just add that I'm not sure if there's anyone happier about the massive reduction in investment increasing oil and gas production in the West than the likes of Vladimir Putin or Algeria, Nigeria, who benefit from rising prices because supply can't meet demand which is the reason for the spike in energy prices. Hey, I wonder if that's going to be mentioned at COP26. Will they talk about the president of the U.S. imploring Saudi Arabia to actually increase oil production? Or the U.K. and China asking coal producers to ramp up production? Will there be a forum focusing on the serious consequences of Germany decommissioning nuclear power plants without any backup power whatsoever, which now has them begging Putin to increase natural gas exports. In short, there's got to be a reality check. And speaking of a reality check, let me finish. One more infuriating question. What about the cost? The cost of transitioning to renewable energy for us as individuals? I mean, we're getting a hint right now with increases to gasoline, diesel, or coal prices, what it costs to heat your home, rising consumer prices because transportation costs are skyrocketing. I think this is going to be a huge issue going forward for you personally and your finances. I mean, because collectively, we're talking tens of trillions of dollars. And should we be doing some sort of cost-benefit analysis of different actions? Or do we keep pretending that all actions to reduce climate change produce equal results? As I say, lots of questions not welcomed by most, but essential to make serious progress, but very little chance they're going to get considered in Glasgow.